0: And I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Job. We'll be in chapter 3. It's funny how things kind of come to your mind. You think about places. There is a little restaurant on the east side of Warsaw, Indiana, just off of US 30. It's called the American Table. I realized the other day as I was just doing a little bit of reflecting how much of a part the American Table Restaurant has played in in my life. It was at the American Table Restaurant on a Saturday morning where some good and godly and wise men, men that were older than me but happened to be my youth leaders that I was leading, They took me out to breakfast. We sat down at the American Table Restaurant, and they gave me my first crash course on servant leadership. It was at the American Table Restaurant on another Saturday morning. I had been up literally all night as our second child was born right around 2 o'clock in the morning, and later on that morning at about 6, just as they opened, I treated myself to a celebratory breakfast at the American Table. It was the American Table restaurant where a young man and I met for several weeks. He was getting ready to go that fall to college, and it was going to be a—he wasn't going to a Christian college—and and so he asked me if we could meet, and we went through the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, sitting there every. It seems like it's always a Saturday. Every Saturday morning, uh, looking at this question: How does someone who follows God? Live in a culture that doesn't necessarily follow God. And we drew principles from the book of Daniel sitting there at the American Table Restaurant. And it was at the American Table Restaurant where I had lunch with a friend one day and listened to him talk about grieving the loss of his wife and three children in a horrific car accident just about a year earlier than that. Uh, My friend, my classmate in seminary, our neighbor, he was my golf buddy until an ill-fated Sunday afternoon, which is another story altogether. He was a colleague in ministry. He was ministering now in another community not far from us. He was opening up to me, not only about his own grieving process, but also about some of the things that he had learned in how others don't, don't handle somebody's grief so well. In the aftermath of this tragedy that had totally turned his world upsta- upside down, a tragedy that rocked our little community like you wouldn't believe, he told me how kind and well-meaning Christian friends had come and said thing to his, things to him that were, at best, ill-timed, And sometimes just hurtful and unhelpful. Things like, well, remember, all things work together for good. At that moment, that really didn't bless him. Oh, remember, God is sovereign. He has a purpose in this. God was in that accident. That doesn't help at all. And in fact, it minimizes who God is. And at lunch that day, he told me that, that those lessons that he had learned by what he had experienced made him start thinking about how he, as a, as a fellow pastor, could maybe help others, and especially other pastors, help hurting people navigate through their grief and help others learn how to minister through grief. And he told me he would come up with an opening attention grabber. And he wanted to run it by me to see what I thought. And he said what he was planning to do in this seminar that he was developing is is he would invite a volunteer to come up and stand with him at the podium. And he would ask the volunteer to put their hand just flat on the podium. And then he would ask them some questions, questions that were very simple. The first question was, do you trust me today? And the next question would be, do you trust God? And then he would go on, do you believe God is good? Do you believe God is sovereign? Do you believe that God works through all circumstances for his glory? Do you believe that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God? Now obviously, all the answers to those questions were yes. Then he was going to pull out a hammer. And he was going to have that man, he said, don't move your hand. And he was said, now I want you to trust me. In a moment, I am going to hit your hand with all the force that this hammer has. I am going to hit it as hard as I possibly can. And I don't want you to think about the incredible pain that you will experience in that instance. I don't want you to think about the irreparable damage that's going to be done to your hand and the years of therapy to even get it working again. I don't want you to focus on any of that. I just want you to focus on God is good and God is sovereign and God is loving And God will use this pain for his glory. First thing I did was I checked to make sure there were no hammers around the table. Then I made sure I moved my hands off the table. And I remember looking at my friend and just saying, but that's impossible. And his response was, but Scott, that's how people have expected me to manage my grief, to deny my pain and my hurt and my sorrow, and just to think about platitudes. Now, I don't know if my friend was ever able to carry out his plan. Uh, sadly, he uh, shortly after our lunch, he actually left the area, and that happens so often with somebody in grief. All the memories that were there, and he, he went to another state and got involved in another ministry. We've, over the years, kind of lost touch. But I walked away from that lunch with a lesson driven home to me in learning to give people time and space to grieve and to process. We're in the third chapter of Job this morning. The third chapter of Job is the beginning of the poetic section of Job that's going to go all the way through chapter 41. I, I just don't know if I can emphasize enough uh, the depth of loss that Job has faced. We've already seen it. He's lost his children, his business, his status, his legacy, his health. And none of this is due to any fault of his own. He didn't make a bunch of bad business decisions. He didn't send his children into harm's way. And he is broken in every way imaginable but one. He is clinging to his tattered faith in God for dear life. He refuses to put the blame on God. Job 3 is a lament, and unlike the lament that we read in Psalm 13 that ends with putting one's unfailing hope in God, Job 3 is going to end in hopelessness and despair. Job is as low as anyone can get. As I think about passages and books like Job, I kind of go back, I circle back to Paul's words in 2 Timothy 3.16 where he says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful. Now, admittedly, today's sermon is not going to be touchy-feely. One of those things I think is so amazing about God's Word is that it does not shy away from the difficult things in life. We live in a broken and hurting world, and we are all subject to the pain and suffering And heartache that comes with that. So what can we learn from these hard and painful words this morning in Job 3? A couple things that we need to be aware of as we're going to work through this. What you're going to read, and we're going to work through it here in a minute, what you're going to see is that Job doesn't reverse any of his earlier statements See, Job 3 doesn't contradict the statement that Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He doesn't contradict that. He doesn't contradict the statement that he makes to his wife, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And in fact, having Job 3 recorded in Scripture helps me understand a very important aspect of my relationship with God. You see God knows. He knows that in different difficult times our emotions and our responses are sometimes on a, a, a roller coaster. And sometimes there's these positive, yes, my hope is in the Lord. Yes, God's unfailing love is there. Oh man, I am so low and right down to the bottom. I just how, why is this happening to me? Yeah, I know I'm hoping in God and it gets and it just goes up and down. And God knows that we have these these re, responses that are at times positive and negative at times hopeful and other times times despairing at times hopeful again and that leads me to my first observation before we even dig into the text the reality and presence of god does not negate the pain and brokenness of my circumstances The reality and presence of God. God is here. God is real. I believe that. And yet that doesn't negate sometimes the pain and brokenness of my circumstances because God has not yet chosen to eradicate the reality of sin from the world we live in. So we live in this tension where we acknowledge a good and loving and always present God and yet sometimes we struggle with personal pain, with emotional pain, with brokenness in relationships, with brokenness in life, with loss. And it's the fact that God is with me that I can acknowledge and express the anguish of my soul. Remember, we serve a God whose own son said, why have you forsaken me? So Job chapter 3. Let me just read the first few verses. After this, after seven days, remember his friends came and they saw him and they wailed and they tore their robes and they threw ashes on their head and they sat down with him and for seven days nobody said anything. And then we read, after this Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, May the day of my birth perish, and the night that said a boy is conceived, that day, may it turn to darkness, may God above not care about it, may no light shine on it, may gloom and utter darkness claim it once more, may a cloud settle over it, may blackness overwhelm it that night, may thick darkness seize it, may it not be included among the days of the year, nor entered in any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day. Those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn for it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. By the way, don't hear this statement being made with the way that i can read it remember this is a man in abject pain this is a man who says in job 30 that his stomach is churning that his insides are in pain so so i'm sure it took a little while to get these words out the writer says that job curses the day of his birth let me just summarize it very easy job is saying i wish i'd never been born It would be better if I'd never been born to to go through this. Uh, this This is a lament, and he's pouring out his pain. He's struggling. Notice he doesn't curse God. He doesn't blame God. He's just saying, God, why did you make that day arrive? I was born on a Thursday. And it's kind of like him saying, God, why didn't you make Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Why did you have to make Thursday? Well, if you wouldn't have made Thursday, then I wouldn't have been born, then I wouldn't be facing this. And sometimes in our grief, sometimes in our pain, we're not always logical. You know, God, why didn't you just make six days total and, and just leave out Thursday as the, that seven? Why did not you just skip it? Now, it's really important for us to understand here, Job is not suicidal. He's not actively planning to take his own life, but he's in such pain that he just wishes he would have never been born at all than to suffer all that he's suffering. That's just, I, I don't know if you've ever been there. I, don't, I, I have suffered pain, emotional pain, physical pain. I've been there in that sense, but I've never been to the point where I've said, I just wish I was never born. To me, that is as difficult of a situation one can find themselves in. Job is struggling. Job is wrestling. Job is saying, God, I don't understand. And that's what the next few verses do. He goes on. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? For now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with kings and rulers of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver, Or why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There the wicked cease from turmoil. There the weary are at rest. Captives also enjoy their ease. They no longer hear the slave drivers shout. The small and the great are there, and slaves are freed from their owners. A second reality. Sometimes... It's hard for us to see any purpose in our own struggles. In keeping with the question about why was I even born, if I would have never been born, this would happen. Now Joel says, okay, so I was born, but why couldn't I have been stillborn? You You know, and again... Think about something for a minute. Job isn't thinking about what kind of pain and agony and heartache and grief that would have caused. He's only thinking about his own pain and grief and agony and heartache. And that's what sometimes grief does. And we have to sometimes allow people to just think about themselves a little bit. God gives them that space. So Job is saying, I I don't even see any purpose to my struggles. Now, Now, This is a man who up until now, up until this point was hugely successful in every thought of the word. He was a good man. God even called him a righteous, godly man. He was a man who had people. He had people to work for him. He had people to do things because he had a thriving business. He had people. And, 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 and he had children who, who liked each other, who got along with each other, who enjoyed one another. And now he's wondering, was it worth it? His sentiment is, if I would have been stillborn, I would actually be in peace right now. I would be at rest. I would be like anybody else. And he, he looks at all these people, these different descriptions. There's these kings, these rulers of the earth, these princes. They have their palaces of gold and all these things they built. But when they die, it they're they're just at rest. And he said, I could I could be with them. He he, he talks about the the uh, the wicked, the wicked no have no more turmoil when they're dead. They're at rest. That was and that was kind of the thought of the day. When you died, you went to a place called Sheol. It's literally the earth. And, and your life was over. Oh, slaves are free when they're dead. I could be free. I could be free from all of this. These are hard words to read and think about. But if you've ever spent any time with someone who's suffering, be it in physical pain be it in emotional pain, they struggle to see the purpose in the moment. And it's not up for us, who are the listeners, to try to come up with that purpose. That backfires beginning in chapter 4. What I see here, what I draw from this, is that God understands this about us. Remember, at the very end of the book, although Job's going to get pulled up short, God doesn't condemn him for his struggle. Some of the demands he makes, God says, those are wrong, those are out of bounds. But God doesn't condemn him for the wrestling match, for the emotional struggle. God is patient with us. God gives us the space we need to deal with our emotions because God created those emotions. As we mentioned last week from Psalm 103, he remembers that we are dust. What Job can't fully wrap his head around What you and I can't fully wrap our heads around is why people suffer. And we're going to explore a little bit that in another sermon, but I think we need to realize that what Job is also wrestling with is the main theology of the day. And we've talked about that, but I think it bears repeating. And the thought would go something like this. God is a good God, and God is a just God, and God as a just God rewards those who do good. But as a just God, God also punishes those who do bad. So if you are having bad things come into your life, it is because God in his justice is giving you what you deserve to hopefully correct you and get you back on course. Because God doesn't let bad things happen to good people. And that is erroneous. In fact, that developed. And in fact, in the book of John, chapter 9, in the New Testament, Jesus and the disciples walk up and there's a man who had been blind from birth. And the disciple says, Lord, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. In other words, Lord, whose fault is it? And there are sometimes things that happen that are of nobody's fault. My friends, wife and children, were on their way to school that morning. And yes, there were some teenagers going the opposite way, drag racing on a country road, and they came up over a hill and five people lost their lives. My friend's wife, the three children that we had babysat for a while, and the two people in the other car. And yes, you can you can declare fault. Those kids shouldn't have been doing that. But my friend's wife and kids did nothing to deserve that. That person who has cancer did nothing to deserve that. And so we have to realize that. Stuff We live in a fallen, broken world. And so Job is struggling. He's struggling with wondering why people suffer. And that's the sentiment in the last few verses here. Verse 20. Why is light given to those in misery, and life to the bitter of soul? To those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice When they reach the grave, why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, only turmoil. Job wonders, God, why Why do you let people just keep living who long to die because of their suffering? I, I've been with some folks that kind of wonder, why am I still here on this earth? I want to go to heaven. We had some folks here in this congregation who were, kept saying that. Why am I here? Why is God, I just want to go be with the Lord. Why am I living my life when it obviously seems to have no purpose? That's verse 23. Uh, Why why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God's hedged in? Here, why is life given to somebody who feels boxed in? Job says, God, you've hedged me in. There's no way out. I'm stuck. And I'm stuck in this predicament, this great loss. In the moment, Job can see no way forward. He doesn't know how this is going to turn out he is struggling and he says my portion my portion my daily substance it's not physical food it's my sighing and my groans uh, the word sighing is just what we think it is it's just that oh. the word groaning could even be translated shrieking it's just my cries maybe not external cries but internal cries one of the things that happens to someone who's in deep pain or deep grief is they don't even have the energy to eat. They know they need to, but there's just no desire. And it seems that's what Job is describing. Some of us, some of us have the, the ability to just live in the moment and to joy each day as it comes. Other of, others of us know that nothing lasts forever. And sometimes we wonder, don't we? I wonder when I'm going to face a time in life that's excruciating or painful. Now, I, I don't think we dwell on it, but some of us just wonder, when has it changed? This is, things are going pretty good right now, but I know it can't last forever. We've seen too much of life to know that it's always just good and idyllic. That appears to be Job. You wonder if Job, as things were going good, as he was buying donkeys and camels and sheep, as he was getting, you know, getting more servants, as, as he watches his kids grow and start to get along, you wonder if he thought, okay, when, when, do, when does the other shoe drop? And now he's looking at this saying, oh, my fears have been realized. And therefore, I don't have any quietness, I don't have any rest, I just have turmoil. This is a hard time. And one of the things that's very interesting here, a third observation is simply this, one that we have to be aware of. We may never have an answer to our whys. Why is this happening to me? I've had that asked, I've had people sit in my office Pastor Scott, why is this happening to me? Pastor Scott, why didn't God stop me from making that decision? If God would have stopped me from making that decision, I wouldn't have been sitting here right now. Why didn't he stop me? Why couldn't I be the one in that hospital bed, not my child? And we don't get answers. Job will never have an answer. Nowhere in the book of Job does God sit down with him and put his arm around him and go, okay, Job, let let me tell you why. Job never gets an answer to his why. As one person once said to me, even if I knew the answer to the why, it would never change the fact of what happened. So I don't want to leave you in despair. It was one of the things they taught me in counseling is once you've gotten someone down to where you've, you know, they're just groveling, don't like close out the session and leave them there. That's Don't leave them in despair. So where's the comfort in this lament? Is, is there anything that can bring us back out of the despair? Is there any hope? I believe there is. As you look at Job's lament... Would you remember this, that God is not afraid of your struggles? He's not afraid of your doubts. He's not afraid of your confusion. Let me simplify it. It is okay to hurt and express your pain and confusion to God. It's okay. See, God is big enough. And God is gracious enough and God is loving enough to handle your pain and confusion and your expression of heart. It's okay to sometimes say to God, I just can't anymore. He understands that because He knows you are dust. He knows you have limitations. It is okay to scream into your pillow and pound on the bed with all that you have and to let it all out because God knows. It's okay to express your pain and confusion to God. Like I learned from my friend that day at the American Table Restaurant on US 30 in Warsaw, Indiana, It's okay to hang on to what you know to be true of God and at the same time to cry and to grieve and to lament and to express your pain in ways that are real to you at the moment. Please, please don't hear me say, it'll all be better in a jiffy. (laughs) It may not. And please do not hear me say, time heals all. It does not. Please don't hear me say that somehow I would agree with denying and sugarcoating the struggles we all go through. I am not. Simply hear this. When you feel that you just can't any longer, no, God hears you. God grieves with you, and in ways you may not perceive, God walks with you in and through the pain. God never leaves Job. He never turns his back on Job. He gives Job all the space he needs to grieve. He gives Job all the space he needs to eventually start making some demands of God. And when he steps in, it will be in power and love, reminding Job who's ultimately in control. We all grieve. We all hurt. We all go through pain. And God knows. And God doesn't leave us. And he doesn't forsake us. And he gives us the space we need to get through it. Let's pray. Father, Tough words, hard words. Uh, Words that, uh, like I said, don't leave us with warm fuzzies and touchy-feely feelings. But a reminder that you are fully aware of pain, of struggles, of grief. A reminder that you are there. A reminder that you walk with us. May we take comfort in your presence in the midst of our struggles in Jesus name amen uh, the the song-